Hello and welcome to Let's Talk SOC, a podcast series brought to you by SecureWorks, a leader in cybersecurity, focused on empowering security and IT teams worldwide to better prevent, detect and respond to cyber threats. I'm Professor Sally Eves, your host. A warm welcome to today's episode, all focused on ransomware. And I'm delighted to be joined by Terry McGraw, VP of Global Cyber Threat Analytics at SecureWorks. Welcome, Terry. Thank you. Appreciate that, Sally. So pleasure. Let's get straight into it and look at the evolution, I would say, of ransomware. So why would you say this is consistently such a hot topic for companies of all sizes today? Well, I think because it remains an existential threat to business. I mean, something like 60% of small businesses go out of business within six months after being hit with a ransomware attack. And even large corporations, let's assume that you even thwart the ransomware before it becomes disruptive and it encrypts your environment you still have to deal with the breach of your environment and potential data theft. It can become hugely expensive as it impedes your operations, particularly that can often, the operational impediments can often exceed the cost of the ransomware. So it truly is an existential threat to the business. It also leads you open for potential of litigation exposure later, depending on what kind of data might have been affected and to the point of your compliance or regulatory environment around notification. So it's an expensive proposition which is why it remains a hot topic, even though we've seen sort of ransomware trends ebb and flow over the past year. I've certainly seen recently more, for example, around sort of the name and shame type of attacks as well. And I think they could be harder to, to kind of stop and detect and less costly perhaps for the threat actor as well. So this constant state of change to deal with as well. So great points there. And perhaps we could put our headspace or our mindset into that mind of the bad actor for a minute. It's a good way to kind of look into what makes an attack happen or how to negate that risk. When you're looking at this, what are you finding are the first steps that cyber criminals are taking when they're preparing to launch one of these attacks? Kind of, kind of the early warning signs, should we say? Well, actually, I think it's more important for the audience to understand sort of the maturation that's happened, the evolution of cybercrime as a whole, because I think it, it answers that question more fully. There's been a significant maturation in the underground threat landscape. It's now a market economy. The cyber Crime marketplace now has a supply chain. It has skilled labor specializations. It has franchise models. I mean, if you look back about eight years ago, cyber criminal groups had to do all of this themselves. They had developed their own tools. They had to target the victims. They had to plan their initial access. They had to exploit the victim, launder any ill-gotten gains. And they all had to do that internally. Now what we see is market and skill specialization. So initial access brokers will now spend their time identifying and gaining a foothold and then putting that up for sale. The franchise models or brokers, if you will, will come in and, and buy that access and then conduct the exploitation. And now you have software operators and developers that create all manner of software as a service and infrastructure as a service to be utilized for cybercrime. In fact, right now, the only barrier to becoming a cyber criminal is just the desire to commit crime. So when you talk about initial steps, it's actually now a driving economy that is almost a near peer competitor to you. I mean, it's not just a singular one and done. This is an, an economy that is actually in that competitive market space right along with you and their marketplaces to get your revenue. That sophistication, all the bad actors coming together and collaborating to bring about these risks as well. Absolutely. And also things say double, triple extortion. I've seen a lot of rise in that. But also on the flip side, the barrier to entry that this type of crime has dramatically fallen. I saw some data recently. It was almost like the price of like a cup of coffee every day of the week. Total that up. And you get a kick that would be able to launch something like this. So you're right, both ends of the spectrum, sophistication, collaboration, but also cost of entry lowering down as well. So excellent kind of range of points there. 
And in terms of this, when you've been evaluating all your experience around ransomware attacks specifically, are there any particular like, unusual or unique examples you've seen, effective ones that have caught your eye that would be great to share with the audience for that information? Yeah, it's a great question. I thought about it a little bit. It, a, it's a dynamic environment, so nothing will remain static. But I thought it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about the attacks against multi-factor authentication bypass. And why do I say that? Firstly, it, it does highlight the fact that humans are still often the weakest link. And, and I mean that not in a negative way, but look, when we're in our jobs, we want to be helpful. We want to be proactive. We want to feel like we're being valuable to the organization. And sometimes we're even overwhelmed, right? We get busy. We have a lot on our plate. And so these are the things that, that threat actors use against us and against our employees. And in fact, not only just ransomware, but I mean, if this is why business email compromise is still very effective. And we've seen a doubling of that over the last year. So that highlights the human in the loop. The second part about it is it, it also shows that you're only going to be as effective as the proper implementation of your solution. And multi-factor is one of those things that it, it really does have to be done everywhere you have externally facing systems. It has to be done in a way that doesn't lend itself to fatigue, you know, alert fatigue. Lastly, it, it does highlight also the prevalence of the tools that can be used to help threat actors do this. I'll give you a great example. So we've actually seen in the last quarter uh, a few successful engagements with Quackbot being delivered by phishing. And one case in particular, it was a request, I'm using my air quotes here, request from the payroll department to update a W-4 form. So it came in as a zip file, which was in encrypted and you needed the user's password, username and password to be entered in to open the document. And so they did that. Now that gave immediate credentials to the threat actor. And then multi-factor authentication requests started to come in and the user just assuming it was part of the document access went ahead and clicked approve. Now, here's the interesting part of this, and this is why I think this really highlights sort of the end-to-end -end trade crap. The threat actor now had just that one, one box access, that one user credential, but the first thing they did, and oh, by the way, Quackbot has this built in, is harvesting of credentials. And so they harvest credentials on that endpoint. Now, this is the interesting part. An admin, a network admin, had been using domain-level credentials to do normal administration on endpoints throughout the environment. And so the very first patient zero gave the threat actor domain level creds. And so now that means your entire environment is, is effectively compromised and it led to a whole host of things. So now they were actually able to detect and thwart the further elevation. They, they got it contained, but the important part is they still had a breach. They still had their entire active directory identity access management that had to be reset and redone. They had critical system access that had to be reset. So it was still hugely expensive and costly for this corporation. I mean, they were in the financial transactions segment. And so as a consequence, when you take systems offline, it runs in the tens of millions of dollars an hour. Um, so again, it also speaks to why these kind of cyber crime still gains so much attention from people is because it can be inordinately expensive. It shows that this is measure, countermeasure, measure, countermeasure, and you have to work across people, process, and technology and have visibility across all of that in order to do this well. Absolutely. It really is very holistic. That visibility point comes up frequently in these kind of conversations as a potential gap area. I totally agree with that. And an interesting one I've seen recently as well is kind of, again, bad actor collaboration, but this was around malware with Emotet, for example. That leads, you know, with the payloads, et cetera, down the line can then lead on to full-blown ransomware attacks as well. So even things that you think have gone can be reimagined and reworked and can come back. So again, this kind of dynamism in the space is absolutely huge. Yeah. 
it speaks to that marketplace is now driving th- this evolution. And, and that's what I think is a key takeaway. Even the telco space as well, I've seen old pro schools like dating back to the 70s that yeah. are being reused for crypto attacks, for example. The, the list goes on, doesn't it? So again, that depth and breadth of experience, the visibility, the integration, also important. I love the fact also you highlighted not just the technology, but it's the people, it's process, it's change management, and it's skills you know, for all levels of the organization as well. So really, really great points. And I'd love to hear a bit more now about like, SecureWorks' role here and how you're working with organizations of all sizes to help mitigate some of these risks, particularly around the ransomware side of things. Yeah, we're uniquely positioned to do that, I think. But first, we have a, a counter threat unit, which is a, a lot of very, very highly skilled people that we've invested an incredible amount into who do deep threat research and attribution across over 200 threat groups. We have an incident response team that does between 1,400 and 3,000 incident response engagements a year. And, and that's firsthand, you know, tradecraft. They're seeing it for the first time, threat actors in the environment, and they're taking all that, and then they're feeding that directly to our countermeasures team, who then build analytics to look across our estate and our Tages platform to provide that level of effect to this. We're processing 3 trillion events a week in our Tages platform. And, and so that telemetry comes from cloud, perimeter, endpoint, it's like every manner of telemetry and sensing architecture gets fed into that Tages platform. And we run analytics across that entire data set. When, what's really cool about that is when we see and we have a new, a new detection, that can be immediately applied to all our customers. So, so what you see in one area of, of our customer base now can be effectively used to protect all of our customer base. But that provides defense in depth across the kill chain, because we do get, if we have visibility across all the security controls, so it's not just waiting until something manifests as an endpoint, we, we see it at the network layer, the cloud layer and detections, we see it uh, across that estate, and that's really, really important. And so I think that that's, that's one of the most effective ways that, that we do that, is our knowledge of the threat, and it's at our application across our, our platform about that knowledge sharing aspect as well that you were saying that but once that's identified that sharing right across your customers as well so again the ecosystem around protection here is just growing all the time i've been really i've been looked at quite a lot of your research in this area as well it's super super impressive so that's absolutely key again with the bad like actors coming together we need to do more as a, as a community the other way don't we that's been a massive yeah. thing like rsa for example you know, stronger together it really is the way forward and so love that I always like to leave things kind of up with some tangible takeaways you know, for the audience as well. So if you were going to revise your flow, reflecting on some of the things we've talked about today and just broader experience as well, there are kind of a top two or three things you would like to share about advice for organizations to better protect themselves from ransomware, whether that's early warning signs or some of the techniques you've talked about as well. Perhaps great ways to end it with some tangible takeaways around protection. Yeah, actually, so there's really kind of top 10, if you will, but I'll, I'll cover the three because you asked me to. It summarizes in that you still have to be brilliant at the basics because that really what this boils down to. I've been talking about these kind of things for the last 10 years. And sadly, the same types of things are still prevalent in our data sets, right? I mean, initial access vectors haven't changed incredibly much in that 10 year period of time. For example, you still have to patch. Why? Because, you know, unpatched servers scale better for the adversary. They can build, you know, scanners. They can scan the entire IP address scheme of the internet and look for vulnerability. They got tools like Shodan. It's, look, it scales better for the adversary. So exploiting systems that are unpatched is the number one access vector. Usually it's between one and two. You need a vulnerability management system. And when I say patching, look, if you've got a large complex environment 
knowing what to patch, what its prioritization of patch is, what its potential for criticality, and and how far is it to really exploit? Like, so for example, with Log4j, um, it will like handing someone scissors to cut your yard. You can do it. It's just really hard, right? So it didn't manifest itself in the wild as much as the press would garner. And so I, we did see it, but it wasn't it, it wasn't a you know a game changing amount. So prioritization, understanding that that vulnerability management system using a solution like you know like our own VDR will help you along with that. But there's lots of solutions that do that, but you have to do it programmatically and you have to be aggressive as you can. The second thing I would say is you absolutely must get a handle on your identity access management. That includes privilege access management, your service accounts, that's moving towards that zero trust model. But there's a lot of things you can do way before you ever get to zero trust. I mean, understanding your active directory, your ACLs, how well that's tiered and modeled, how well that's defended. You want to avoid like the situation I, I illustrated where a network admin is using the same types of creds throughout your environment, or you have overly broad service accounts, right? We set these things up. We don't always contain and limit them to just the bare minimum. Uh, we don't lock down our file management systems with our servers correctly. There's a whole host of things that you can do around identity access management that truly is uh, a key to success. Even if someone gets in, I, like I said, I used to work at the NSA. If someone wants in, they'll get in. How do you detect them and limit the damage? So, so identity access management is key. It's really the new perimeter. And then how do you detect? You need two things. One, a, a credible, robust EDR, whether that's our Tages agent or one of the ones we support. So our Tages platform does support multiples. CrowdStrike, if you will, Sentinel-1, Defender, those are really the top three beyond ours that we support them in our platform. But you really need, it goes way beyond AV, you really need a robust EDR for that, for that endpoint threat detection. But you also need the ability to sort of correlate that with your other controls, cloud and, and perimeter, for example. So, so that's the, the, the top two, followed quickly by, I think, MFA. Multi-factor authentication. I did highlight how that is not a panacea, but by the same token, if you don't have it put everywhere you have externally facing systems, you really have it nowhere. So it's not only implementing it, but it's implementing it correctly in a way that doesn't lend itself towards fatigue. So users can inadvertently authorize it. Um, and there's lots of ways to, to do that. And there's lots of technologies available to help you do that rapidly. Um, and then I said I was going to follow up with a quick a few other things. I just think it's important to note. We're in 2023. Business email compromise is still a thing. Business email compromise is happening in a couple of ways. Exploitation of your servers and exploitation of your users. Uh, and then on the user front, if you don't have a sandbox solution in 2023, folks, you're exercising malfeasance. Like, look, even if it's only 80% effective, that's 80% of things you're not having to deal with in your environment. And so to not have a credible solution, whether that be a Mimecast or proof why they're, they're partners of ours, but, but there's other solutions, but putting that in, making sure it's, it's configured correctly. Those are, those are key. I, I want to touch on backups because we often talk about backups. This is the last point I'll make. I know I've been a little proposed. Backups are only good for if, if one, they're out of band, meaning if a threat actor compromises your identity access management and, the, and you use the same creds to your backup systems, you do the rest of your environment, they have that. So it has to be out of band. It has to be managed out of band. Number two, ensure that your backups are viable by actually exercising your backups. Schedule a change management window and bring critical systems back from backup. This actually happened. We had an incident response engagement where the on-premise solutions were affected by ransomware. The cloud 
environment was not. Uh, but the on-premise took five weeks to completely remediate cleaning and rebuild. When they went to bring the solutions back together, because they were prem systems talk to the cloud systems, what they had was a five-week temporal misalignment. So you had timestamps that were five weeks apart in the data. The backup system could not marry that big a gap between the timestamps. The backups were essentially worthless at that point. That's not something you want to realize when you, at that critical juncture, and the only way you'll be able to come to those conclusions is to actually try to exercise it. So again, backups are great. They're, they're not a panacea. They are very, very helpful. They'll keep you out of ransomware negotiations to a point. They're also not going to solve your data exfiltration problem. So data stolen, backups are great to bring you back up quickly, but they're not going to solve the problem for a loss of data. So you still need to, to have great data awareness, criticality awareness, and telemetry across your estate. But those are the things I'll leave you with. Superb. It was well worth going beyond the three, Terry. Honestly, I totally agree with that. I think particularly on that patching side. So research I was involved with, like, you know, over the pandemic, was saying so many organizations were delaying it up to five times in a row. And I still think there's a bit of a knock-on effect from that even today. So I think that was really important to mention that alongside everything else as well. But also that actualization point you were saying about backups, but equally around like simulation of some exercises around this as well, like from the training point of view. I think so often in organizations, there's a lot of talk about what would happen when it happens, but not every roles get, get that experience of doing that, like from a comms piece. You know, for example, I've seen a lot around social media, hacking around CEO accounts and things. And again, that is another routine back to email compromise. So all of these things, you've got to have that practice and that hands-on doing as well. So, so important. Absolutely key, Sally. I mean, practicing this. Look, you shouldn't be working through how to deal with a ransomware event when you're having a ransomware event. You should know where your board fits in, where your C-suite fits in, what are your notification requirements, what your your liability or exposure to litigation based on your data that may or may not have been stolen. You need to know what system has what data on it and why it's critical. I mean, there's a whole host of things that you absolutely have to do way, way, way ahead of ever having to deal with this in the real world. And so we hope you never have to. That's why I secure. But in the event, again, training, training, training in real world scenarios, I think is very, very key. We can also help with that, by the way. We have an entire suite of people that will, will walk you through these worst day scenarios way, way, way before you ever have to deal with them in person. And, and we highly encourage you to do so. After Terry, great point there as well. I think that partnership and facilitation makes a big, big difference too, particularly just with the scale and scope, really all the changes we're talking about here today. Terry, I know we're out of time, so I'm going to have to bring it to a wrap, but thank you so much for joining me today. I think it's been particularly insightful, just the holistic range of things you've brought to life here around ransomware. Thank you, Sally. I appreciate you having me. And for everyone watching and listening to, thanks so much for joining us on the latest episode of Let's Talk Sock. We'll be back very soon. Let's Talk Sock is a podcast series brought to you by SecureWorks, a leader in cybersecurity, helping organizations reduce their risk, maximize their existing security investments, and fill their talent gaps. With their cloud-native security analytics platform, Tagus, they offer MDR and XDR solutions for better threat prevention, detection, and response. To learn more, visit secureworks.com.